The text for today's sermon has already been read, John 20, 11 through 18. It's Sunday morning. Mary from Magdala is at the tomb where the body of Jesus had been laid late Friday evening after he had died on the cross. But now the tomb is empty. Mary had run to tell the men that she had discovered an empty tomb. Peter and John had run back to check the tomb out for themselves. Mary also returned to the tomb, and we find her there weeping. She is overcome with grief. Jesus was killed. He was entombed. And now his body has been taken away. Before we join Mary from Magdala in her grief, let us pray that God will open our eyes to see him. If you know this prayer song, I will attempt to start it. Please rescue me and we sing it together. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth you have for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unlock and set me free. Silently now on bended knee, ready I wait your will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Amen. Grief is a pain that blinds. The death of a loved one brings grief, great grief, and often with it great blindness caused by an overwhelming sense of shock and loss. Shock, loss, grief, and blindness is compounded when a child has died. It is all backward when a parent or a grandparent buries a child or a grandchild. Some of you know that grief. Some of you know that pain. I may have told this story. I've gotten old enough to know that there are things that get repeated regularly. But I was serving a church in California and a young man was killed violently. I did not know the family. They came from another town nearby. I went to visit them and spent several hours with them. And they were a wonderful Portuguese family. And if you know Portuguese culture, they're a family with great emotional outbursts. It's a delight to be with them. It is contagious to be with them in times of great joy and also times of great grief. As the funeral service was beginning for this young boy, something I experienced I had never experienced before was a grandmother whose grief was so profound, she got up out of her chair, she walked up to the open casket and began to crawl in with him. It took every ounce of energy I had to keep her from bringing everything over. She was so distraught, so filled with grief, that she was blind to her behavioral choice of action. 
understandable. Her grandson was gone. Grief is compounded for Christians when you aren't sure that the person who has died has surrendered their life to Jesus. And there's the haunting question, where did they go? What happens now? Every once in a while, I like to take a cul-de-sac when I'm speaking with people and even when I'm giving a sermon. And this is a cul-de-sac moment. It is important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to give a clear witness of faith to our family, even if they don't believe yet. Parents, grandparents, have you made it clear to your children and grandchildren that you are a Christ follower? This is the greatest gift you can give them to declare it, even if they still don't believe yet. What do you say to them? Here's a choice. I want you to know that I believe that Jesus is my Lord, and I believe that God raised him from death. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, we read, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So to declare that is a wonderful gift to give to your children and your grandchildren and other members of your family. The cul-de-sac's just a little longer. Or you might say, I want you to know that I have Jesus Christ in my life. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, we read, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And declare to them again, I have the Son of God in my life. Make those declarations to each other, if they're true. If they're not, I have help for you. Because it's the only way we can be with God. End of cul-de-sac. Mary was blinded by her grief. She knew Jesus well. He had totally changed her life. Listen to what is written in Luke chapter 8. The twelve were with Jesus and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and on it goes. Luke 8, 1 through 2. Mary knew what Jesus looked like. She had seen Jesus work miracles of healing all over the region of Galilee. She had watched as Jesus told inspiring stories of God's love. And she had been at the cross. She had watched him die and watched as he was laid in that tomb. But her grief on this Sunday morning blinded her from seeing that Jesus was standing right next to her. She was so overcome. Grief blinds, but there is a sound that opens eyes. There have been a few occasions during church service when the sound system feedbacks on us. Even the soundest sleepers, those who are taking the day of rest personally and seriously, will have their wide eyes wide open by the sound of feedback. And usually it's much more intense 
than the gentle one you just received. There's a sound that opens eyes. As a child, a preteen and teenager, I pretty much lived outside during the summer months. I'd be fishing in the stream that ran in front of our summer cabin where we lived all summer long, or building a treehouse with friends in the woods, or making rafts out of driftwood and having adventures on the edges of Puget Sound near Des Moines, Washington. At some point late in the day, I was told that my mother would call my name. Craig. I don't remember that. I was also told that she would call out again with increased intensity. Craig. I don't remember those. These are just what I was told. Then she would call out again, ramped and amped up even more. Craig Stephen! The double names always got me. I always heard when she used both my names, and my eyes became wide open, but I also knew it was time for dinner. It was good to go home. You're driving on Interstate 91. Everybody is speeding. So are you. Suddenly you hear the sound of a siren behind you. It's a Connecticut State Trooper, you know, the beautiful gray car with lights flashing, sirens screaming. You immediately slow down as though you were going too fast. You signal that you're pulling over to the right. Fortunately, the State Trooper goes by you. He's going for someone else. But your eyes are wide open. And if you were tired at all, you're not any longer. It's the sound that opens eyes for all of us. And I know many of you have experienced that sound. You're sitting in church, and the pastor, in the midst of his sermon, calls out your name in the sermon. I know about that. It was my experience as a 13-year-old boy one Sunday at Seattle First Covenant Church, and Alan Wickman, our pastor, was preaching, and he stopped suddenly. I wasn't listening to him, frankly, and he said, Craig, be quiet. I heard that. More importantly, my father heard it, too. He was downstairs. I was in the balcony. We got together after the service. Not by my choice. And I promised that I would never do that to a young person. Never. Aaron, I will never call out a name in a service in my life. Mary had heard Jesus countless times over two or more years speaking privately and with very large crowds. But this time was different. It's unexpected. It was profound. Her grief had blinded her eyes from seeing him. All she knew was that the tomb was empty. And her grief had closed her ears to hearing him. That is, until Jesus said, Mary, we discover from this the power of a name. In 1985, some of you were alive, 
I couldn't stand up straight without significant pain. There was no way I could shovel the Minnesota snow in January, February, March, April, and sometimes even into May. Later that spring, while walking on a city sidewalk in Edina, Minnesota, it was incredibly treacherous for me because if the sidewalk pads varied by even a sixteenth of an inch, that jar would throw my back into a spasm and several times knocked me to the ground. My doctor examined me but could not tell what was wrong. He said I had a bad back. Not a helpful diagnosis. And sent me to specialists. I saw an orthopedic surgeon and his partners several times. They had me get an MRI and it revealed old fractures, fractures in my spine, 17 old fractures in my spine from the days of playing football and skiing aggressively, doing the moguls. But no name was given to my condition apart from a bad back. I was sent to a neurosurgeon. Still, no name given to my condition. He just amped up. He said, you have a very bad back. (laughs) I didn't find them helpful at all. It was Christmas Eve, 1985, and I was preaching the sermon in the service at the Covenant Church of Edina, and I felt something give way in my back. It just kind of slipped and was very painful. I held on to the pulpit as hard as I could to stay up, finish the sermon, and then joined my family in the car rushing to the airport to fly to Boston to be with family for Christmas. The day after Christmas, I had to fly home early because the pain was so intense. I was picked up at the airport by one of my staff members and taken directly to the hospital in downtown Minneapolis. Carolyn came home the next day with the kids And the day after that, I had surgery to remove a ruptured disc. It had ruptured into three places, probably at that Christmas Eve service. My superintendent came and visited me, Stan Henderson, and his first words in the hospital room were, Craig, you need to know, the manger can carry itself. You don't need to pick it up. I thanked him for those wonderful words of joy. The surgery gave me some short-lived relief. In about three weeks, the pain returned with great intensity. So my doctor finally sent me to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, to find out really what's wrong with you. (laughs) That's a question many people have asked many times. (laughs) I spent three days at Mayo undergoing a massive number of tests, but there were results. I had something called HLA-B27 spondylosarthropathy. Okay also known as ankylosing spondylitis, you may have heard of that, or Norman Cousins disease. It's a variation on the sixth chromosome. So I had a name, finally a name. There was some relief. They know what's wrong. They know what to do now. They gave me some medicine. I began to take it. I began to feel somewhat better. And I to God's glory, tell you that two years later, being prayed over by some people at the Covenant Church of Edina, God healed my back. I have not had any problems with my back other than gravity and old age since then, because God is good. But when I got the name, I was amazed at how different I felt, even though I was still in some measure of pain and disability, because there was something I could call it. 
There's great power in a name. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi about name power. Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether people believe in him or not, there will come a day when we will all bow because we will all know. It will be perfectly clear. We will see him as he really is. What's good for Christians is that we get a chance to bow early. We get a chance to know him early. We get a chance to follow him early and be ready for that great day. And our job is to help others to know him now so they too can be ready for that great day when we all bow at the name of Jesus. We end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? It's because by Jesus' name, excuse me, in Jesus' name only, is how we have access to God the Father. He said, I am the way. You want to know the way? I'm the way. You want to know the truth? I'm the truth. I am the life, if you want to know life. No one will come to the Father except through me. I literally believe that verse. He can let anyone in he wants, no matter our theology. He wants us all. We cannot declare universalism. We can declare specifically that Jesus has made a way for all. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So we end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, so be it, or may it be so. But you know, there's also great power when our name is called, especially when it's called by God. As Jesus, the Son of God, said, Mary, her grief-filled eyes opened wide, and she was overcome, totally overcome, with all kinds of mixed emotion, so that she just grabbed hold of him, because it was no longer an empty tomb, no longer merely he's gone. He wasn't gone. He was there. He was alive. He had called her name, and she clung to him. She had thought about nothing for two and a half days but his laying in the tomb since Friday. That was all she could see until she heard her name called. Are you in a measure of grief? There's a lot of grief in our world. I think of the family in Minneapolis who thankfully were hearing good reports about the little boy that was thrown off the third floor of the Mall of America by a very disturbed person. I think of the people in the Midwest who are still undergoing great need for fixing their places and recovering from incredible spring floods and Rainstorms and tornadoes in the south. I think of people in Sri Lanka. I think of people in our community who have buried loved ones in these last few months. There's lots of grief in our world. People need to hear their name called. 
Is God calling your name this day? In one way, he already did. You woke up. It wasn't just your alarm clock or your habit. God called your name for another day, another day to live, another day to love, another day to be a blessing, another day to follow him. Jesus is still calling names. Are you listening? Is there someone in your circle of family and friends who is in grief today? Bring their name to God. Bring them to God in your prayers that they might hear him. And then in the name of Jesus, call out their name yourself. Be the agent of God by a call or a visit or an email or an Instagram or a Twitter or a card or a conversation. They're still valid and helpful. Let them know they're not alone. They are remembered. They matter because there's power in a name being called. Call them. Bless them this day. Bring them the delight that they're being thought of and remembered and loved. This is God's will for his children to be about this work. You want to know the will of God? This is one of the universal wills of God for every human being and especially every follower of Jesus. It's important that we know his voice. He says his sheep will know his voice. And that we be his voice for others in the name of Jesus, whose name is above every name. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for calling my name many decades ago. I thank you for calling my name this morning. I thank you for calling the names of my friends here, my fellow worshipers, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will help us to be name callers in this sense of that phrase to those around us. That as they matter to you, they matter to us. As they need their eyes opened because they are being blinded perhaps by grief and many other things, as we often are too, May we be a part of the answer to their dilemma in calling out a name and telling them they're remembered, they're thought of, they're prayed for, they're loved. As you opened Mary's eyes by calling her name, continue to open ours to the glory of Jesus who is the Christ, the living Son of God. Amen.